Can you pray? God, we want to thank you this afternoon. You've been so gracious, you've been so kind to us, Lord, even to gather us in this place. And this afternoon, Lord, as we share your word together, Lord, Lord, we want to pray that you open our hearts, Lord, all of us, Lord, that, Lord, we may see your great word, that, Lord, you want to exchange us, Lord, for your own glory and for our own good, Lord. This afternoon, Lord, help us. Let us, Lord, Lord, that we not be asleep in our hearts and asleep in our minds, Lord, that we may be close not to hear of thy word. But, Lord, we pray that you may open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. For your son's sake, we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Uh, I think this is a blessed afternoon that uh, God has gathered us here uh, this afternoon. We've been doing the book of Peter after we did the book of Colossians. And I pray that uh, uh, as I share God, God's word, that uh, I'll be uh, faithful to what he has said in his word. And that he will use that for, for us to know him uh, more and more. Uh, our text today will come from verse 8 to verse 22. I know this is a very long passage, uh, so I had tried to compress it as much as I can, but not miss out on the key things that the text is all about. So, and I hope that will be helpful for us so that we can finish uh, uh, in good time. Um, today, uh, the text is divided into parts, that is, the first section. Uh, that is from verse 8 to 17, doing good, uh, doing good, or the good that you must do. And then uh, from verse 18, Christ, Christ has suffered for, for all. That is, for example, you know that he has died, uh, he suffered, he died, uh, he was raised, and he has ascended. All those uh, are in the uh, next uh, verses that are there, and that's what we'll be able to see. And now the thing is, doing good for Christ has suffered. For all, doing good for Christ has suffered for all. Uh, all the previous sermons that have been preached to us by Patrick Lawrence and, uh, and Mark, I know they have been helpful to us to remind us. This is another reminder. Sermons are reminders. So that whatever we may have forgotten, we may not forget. What we may not have known, that we may know. And I tend to believe that that's what we are uh, here, here for. We are pilgrims, just as Peter is writing to these people. And I think the thing that I can pick is uh, how the Christian life looks, looks like from chapter 1 to chapter 3, all of them. We saw the aspect of living with the outsiders, how are we to live with them? Living before God, fearing Him, as we have seen in chapter 2. Living with the ugly authorities, also in uh, chapter 2. Uh, the Christian life in marriage, that is from verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 to, to, to 7. And now here we see the command to, to all. To all, and that's what we're going to uh, to see out uh, this uh, afternoon. Before. 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart, and a humble mind. This is a command. We, we first of all must see it as a command that is given to us by God. That we must have the unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. That's what God commands all those that follow him. 
And this is what Peter is reminding these people. That after telling them how they, they are supposed to live with God, uh, with authority, life in marriage, with outsiders, he's telling us and he's commanding us to have the unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Um, the only one that I want to define or bring out to our minds here is the unity of mind. What does the unity of mind in this sense mean? It has been used in Ephesians, in Romans, and so on. But I like how Romans put it in Romans 15, 5, that we are to be in harmony or like-minded in accordance with Christ. It's not outside Christ, but in accordance with Christ. Like, for example, uh, the previous verses that are preached to us here, for example, the wife is to submit, the man is to love uh, the uh, the, the wife and treat her in accordance with the knowledge or in an understanding way. So as a wife and the husband, you must all be of unity of mind in this sense. That one, as the, the wife, you know you must submit. And as a wife, you must know that and as a husband, you must do what? You must treat or live with your wife in an understanding way. We must be of that mind. That's the like mind that we must have. Not only that, like mind in understanding what Christ has done for us to save us from our sin and how we are to live like that. As Christians, we must all agree on that and be of like mind in that. And after telling them that, it must be of the unity of mind. That we are not differing in what God has told us, that we are not differing whether the wife should submit or the husband should treat her wife uh, or his wife, that is, in an understanding way. We are not agreeing, but we are agreeing because that's what God commands us. The other part is sympathy. Uh, we want to define uh, sympathy, and that is the feeling of uh, a pity, sorrow for someone else's misfortunes or even sorrows that they may have. We want to put it in a soil word, or you are able to understand people with the needs that they have. That is a command that is given to us. You as a Christian, as Peter is writing here, you must be a person of sympathy. When people are in soul, you must have sympathy for them. You must have that feeling of understanding them in their souls. The other one is brotherly love. This one, I think we, we, we met with Patrick uh, last week, I think, uh, yeah, last week, and uh, we were discussing, and Patrick was reminding me of how this brotherly love has been repeated, especially in the book of, of Peter. Let me ask yourself, but really, are we called, why are we called to brotherly love? That shows us that there is a possibility in which we may be tempted not to love each other. That in us, there is that sin that is in us that may make us hate our brother. And that's what God is commanding us through Peter. And he's telling them, you do what? You walk in brotherly love. Why are we to love our brothers? One is because you know God has loved us to show that we are his disciples. It's, that is in the Bible. And the other thing that is very important to us is because God has commanded us to do that. It's God's command that we are to love one another. So when we hate each other, 
when we do not love people, we are sinning against the Lord. You see how sin can be great? And we may not be able even to understand how great it is. But when we are not loving one another, when we are not being sympathetic to other people, when we do not have the unity of mind, we are sinning against the Lord. That's why I commanded to do this thing. That's brotherly love. It's repeated in so many verses there. Then the other thing is a tender heart. Now the human heart is capable, of course, of hating people, responding to people in an aggressive way, in an unkind way. But here we are commanded, we will be people of a tender heart. And that as a Christian, you must show forth the fruits of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when so you're talking even of a tender heart here, when you look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, humility, patience, all of them, you must display that. That you are ensure that your life, the entire of your life as a Christian, you have that tender heart, that meek heart, that first of all doesn't look to your own desires being first fulfilled, but the desires of other people first. The things of other people. That first of all, before you look to what something will work for you, first of all, you see, how does it first work for the other person? If I get angry, how will my anger affect the other person? So that I will be able to treat that person with a tender heart. Another thing is a humble mind. Humility is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit which must be seen in us if we are Christians. We are not to be known as proud people. That your mind should always be prepared to express or show that humility to other people who we meet. Who is supposed to be shown humility? One, your brothers in Christ, your family, the outsiders, even those people who are not born again. We are supposed to show that humility they must see that humility in us. And that humility will only be reminded of why we must be humble. We'll be able to see that in from us because of what Christ has done. Because of what he has done. Then verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. You see, we are not left asked, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We are not left there. We are told, but on the contrary. You stop this, this is what you are supposed to do. But on the contrary, bless. For this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. What is reviling? I think it's good that the word that you may not know, it's good we define it. Reviling means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. And that's why it's saying now, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. If someone slaps you on this cheek, what do you do? You give the other one. You don't have to revenge. Vengeance is of the Lord. You don't have to repay evil for evil, and you'll see that as we continue. Why shouldn't you do all, all these things? 
do not criticize the people in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Even when we are rebuking, we are not to rebuke people meaningly. In this way, we rebuke people just meaningly in an unnecessary way. There are unnecessary rebukes that may not help even someone. But here we are reminded, do not do that. Do not repay, repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for this you are called. That means that these people, the Christians here that are written to, bad things were done to them and unjust things, which according to the human heart, I should respond and say, you are not supposed to do these things for me, according to justice. I am supposed to respond. If you do me bad, I will do bad to you. That's what these Christians are. Some of them were persecuted. Some of them were abused. But they are reminded, do not repay evil for evil or divide for evil. When people have done things to you that you don't like, when people have offended you, especially for your Christian faith, do not repay evil for But on the contrary, bless. For this, or for to these, you are called that you may obtain a blessing. To that, you may obtain a blessing. And of course, when talking about blessing here, we want to call it an eternal blessing. In the book of 1 Peter, we read about this hope that is kept for us in heaven. And this eternal hope is what? It is undefiled. God wants you when you are tempted to repay evil for evil. You remember that you are supposed to bless that person because in that you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Do not forget the great hope that God has kept for us in heaven. Verse 10 says, For whoever desires to love life and sees good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now this is from Psalms 34. So for those who may be interested, you may go to, I won't go to Psalms 34, but make sure that you go back to Psalms 34. But the psalmist here, and you see Peter is quoting the psalmist saying, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, if you want to see good days, Days of joy and happiness in the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now, the only word that I want to define here is the word deceit. What does deceit mean? Misrepresenting the truth. Whereby people can mislead or impose false ideas. And why do we do that? Why do we, only, we always misrepresent certain truths? It is for our own advantage. Mm. We lie, or like, for example, just give an example. I'm speaking something again, uh, for against Patrick to someone else, but instead of giving the truth, I'm misleading for my own advantage. It's my for my own cover. But that's the very thing that the Bible is warning us here. We must be very careful of deceit, and deceit is done with the mouth. Because there is something we are representing here, which is the truth about someone else, and especially against brothers and sisters. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You must be very careful 
of this member of our body called the tongue. This one, it can destroy. It has destroyed so many families, friendships, this tongue. And at times, it's because with our tongue, we speak deceit. We are not representing the truth. We are just speaking deceit, and there is no truth in that information that we are giving people. But we are told if if we have to desire uh, that whoever desires to love, like, and seek good things, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Do not be a person who always mis- misrepresents truth. Just say as it was. Don't add anything. What you are not sure about someone else, do not speak about it. You rather be silent in it. And of course, James wants us much on the dangers of our tongue and what our tongue can do. So you must ensure that you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. That's the only way. That's the only way you see good things. Because it is the Lord who gives us good things. The Lord who gives us that joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But if we disobey the Lord, what makes us think that the Lord should not chastise us? What makes us think that the Lord will not make our days hard so that he may point us back to him? Verse 11 says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So you see, there is a command here that we are to always turn away from evil. Some of these evils, we have discussed them in the previous verses here. All of them. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peace is something to pursue. You see that word there? Let him seek and pursue it. Why peace? The people are always against each other. Sin always makes us look at people, and when we look at them, especially if they have done bad things to us, it is easy for us to respond in a violent way. And in that sense, what do we do? We lose the peace that we should have. Strive to pursue holiness and peace without which no one will see the Lord. You strive. So peace, when it comes to peace, it is something that we as Christians, we must pursue and strive each and every day around us. Blessed are those who seek peace or the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God is always, his eye is always upon his people. Always. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord. Of course, we have to be very careful here so that we don't assume that God has eyes or that he has ears. He doesn't have ears. But there are some instructions for us to understand the, uh, 
certain things about how God relates with us. He said, For you do what? Let him turn away from evil and do good, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The God that you believe in through our Lord Jesus Christ, his eyes are always upon us. His eyes are always on us. Even in the midst of the reviving or the evil that may be done to us, the offense that may be done to us, what we say, even in the midst of those things, let us remember one thing, that the eyes of the Lord are on us who believes in God through our Lord Jesus Christ and who believes in Him. He has never left His people. God has never left His people. He loves His people. Even when His people are persecuted, He still loves them. When they are revived, He still loves them. He is upon them. And His ears are open to their prayers. Is there trouble anywhere? Everything to God in prayer. And when we do that in the midst of all the things that we have discussed here, the ears of the Lord are upon we know that when we pray to him in everything, he will hear us. See what the next slide says. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Isn't that because they are doing the reviving to us, all these things that they are doing to us, the hatred they have towards us, isn't that the Lord isn't seeing these things? No. Are they going to escape the, the judgment of God? They won't escape the judgment of God. The Bible says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And when we look to that, we remember something here. But vengeance is of who? It's of the Lord. You do not have to repay evil for evil. So if, if one is practicing all these evils that have been mentioned here, you are to be very careful. And you are after to seek in how can I obey the Lord even in the midst of all these things that I may be tempted to do them. Because why are Christians told not to do certain things? It's because in them there is the ability to sin. There is the ability to hate each other. There is the ability not to be of tender heart. There is the ability to do all those things. But the Lord is telling us not to do it. Verse 13 says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing for what is good? Who is there to harm you? You see, that, that's a question which you can respond and say, No one. There is something in us that they cannot destroy. There is a certain hope in us that we have. That though they revile us, that though they hate us, we will continue to do good because that hope, they cannot take it from us. Because it comes from God. That hope is kept for us. Who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for doing for what is good. But if, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear for them, nor be troubled. The words that Peter is speaking here aren't his words, they are the words of the Lord. So here, and when we look at these two verses here, we should see them as if they are coming from the Lord. As if God is telling us, you people, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
if you should suffer for what is good and what for righteousness sake here and for good is for the sake of the cost and doing anything that is good here the Bible isn't telling us that we shouldn't tell them the gospel if we are to suffer let us suffer for sharing with them what the gospel and also we should not be afraid to tell them that they are sinners who if they will not repent of their sins and come to the Lord Jesus Christ they will perish we are to tell them that we are not to fear all these things and the Peter who is writing this in the book of Acts he says is it you that will fear or it is God that you are going to fear for the sake of the gospel we are not afraid we do not fear the harm because for us that is the good that we should do will we offend them Yes, we will offend them. And that's why they are reviling us. That's why they are rebuking us. That's why they are speaking against us. That's why the Christians here in the, in the book of Peter were suffering. And why were suffering? They were suffering for the sake of the gospel. That's the only thing that they were told they should suffer for. For that which is good. They shouldn't suffer because they have been found burning houses there and speaking rudely against people. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that is, you will be blessed. There is a blessing if one suffers for righteousness' sake. That blessing, some of those blessings, you will not experience them in this life. But one thing we know that we will be persecuted, we will be hated. But even if they do all these things, there is a great reward for you in heaven, as the book of Numbers says. That's the promise that God gives us here. There is a great blessing and a reward that we have in Him. And eternal life, or this hope, is not something that we enjoy in the future. It is also something that we are enjoying even now. That's hope. And we are told, have no fear for them, nor be troubled. Do not be troubled by those people if you are suffering for what is good. Um... Verse 15 says, and of course, before I go to verse 15, why should we not fear them? We are called, of course, to, to, to fear God only. To fear God only. Why should, not, should we not be troubled with them? It is because God. Because the same God that we are worshiping and we are suffering for Christ's sake is the one who is ruling over them. Even the evil people, God is doing everything together for good. For his own glory and also for our for our good. Even if they are bad that they are doing to us, it isn't passing God. God knows that those things are happening to us. But we should know one thing here: that his eyes are upon us and his ears are open to our prayers. That's the hope that we've been given here. You see what a great hope we have: that though we are suffering, God is with us and his eyes are upon us. Why doesn't then God stop all these things that are happening to them? Why should we let Christians suffer? Why can God just do away with these revilers, these people who are persecuting them? Why does God do away with Emperor Nero and everyone that is persecuting Christians here? It's because suffering has a purpose in the Christian life. And God is not going to end it. And why? The hope that we have is from God. We rejoice in our sufferings 
Because they produce what? Endurance. Then endurance produces what? Character. Character produces what? Hope. And this hope does not disappoint because God's love is shed in our hearts by His Spirit. You see why suffering is there? Is it in that God has a purpose in it for His own glory also, but also for our good? There is hope that we find. James says that trials have a purpose and we should rejoice in them. We also suffer that we may comfort also others who are suffering. We are also called to suffer so that we may also do what? Share in the sufferings of Christ. We also suffer because it is something that is promised to us. That those who will live godly lives, they will do what? They will suffer persecution. But the greatest of all is that we will be more like Christ. More like Christ. So that we will not love the things of this world, but that we will be reminded that also life is right here, even though we are persecuted by this. Now, above all, we will see that in, in, in verse 18 of why we are to endure all this suffering, but before I go to verse 18, go to verse 15. But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord has told Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. But in your hearts honor Christ. Of course, this is quoted from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah says that, but in our hearts we are to honor the Lord. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. You see, why are we to do all these things that we are commanded to do in these previous verses here? It is because we want to honor the Lord. We want to fear the Lord who has told us not to do these things, but on the contrary, to do these other things that we have seen in those verses here. That we have to honor Christ. Because Christ has come. And because he has come, he has done that which we could not do on our own. That means we should honor him. We should honor him who paid it all. And we should honor him also who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we'll see that as we continue. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet you do that with what? Gentleness and respect. Uh, I, I think uh, there are so many people who use this verse and think that the verse is about defending whether God exists or not. I think Patrick was clear on that at some point back here. But above all, what you see here, if people ask you, why are we reviling you so unjust to you, but you're not reviling evil for evil? And the answer here, we can defend that. And say so there is this great hope that is kept for us in heaven. Verse 3 of 1 Peter 1, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That they can tell people, you are doing all those things to us, but we are not going to pay back evil for evil. Fine. Because we have a living hope. That's the defense we are giving to people. That's what we are telling them. 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And it is kept by you, by God's power. That's what we are telling people. That's what we are defending, that we have this great hope. And now, as you tell them that, we are not doing that with unkind words, but you do that with gentleness and what? Respect. Let people, when you speak to them about this hope, when you are saying of why you believe in Christ, let them see gentleness, let them see the respect. Because also in Second Peter, what did we also say? We are to respect everyone. So you have to ensure that you are respecting people in all these things. And do that with what? Gentleness and respect. Now you've done that. You see those good things that we've been told to do. If you, I have suffer, I only suffer for righteousness. Why? Look at what verse 16 tells us. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You cannot silence good works. You cannot silence a Christian who is zealous that if I have to suffer, I only suffer for righteousness' sake. You cannot silence that. And when they do that, when they slander you, and when they revile you for your good behavior in Christ, they will be put to shame. They will be convinced that what we have done is a wrong thing. God has given a conscience to everyone that he has created. Everyone. Even those people who, who claim not to believe in Christ as the Savior and Lord, there is a conscience in them that tells them this is good and this is wrong. And they will be done what? They will be put to shame. They will not find anything bad to accuse you of. And then your conscience will be clear. So that it doesn't at the end also torment you. I have done the wrong thing. I have suffered for what is not good. So I'm sure that your conscience is clear and at the end it doesn't torment you. So a Christian who lives his life not obeying his commands that we have seen here in the previous verses will find that at the end his conscience torments. And you tell him, you know you have done wrong. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. We do not have to do evil. We do not have to do evil. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Of course, it is God's will that we do what? We suffer for, for, for doing good. That's, that's God's will. Now, we are done with the first section of do good. Now, why are we doing all those things? Why? Why share this hope we have with others, the defense, and all the issues of the having a good conscience? So that when we are slandered and that those who revile us with our good, in our good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Why? For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil for. Verse 18 now. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's the motivation. Because the motivation it continues to the other verses, his resurrection and his ascension. But here in verse 18, we'll see that as we continue the four aspects. For Christ also suffered. Is there a person you know that has ever suffered innocently? It's the only one, and it is him. This Jesus that we believe in, he is the only one that we could say suffered innocently. There is nothing wrong that he did. But he did what? He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. Of course, death in the flesh here means the physical death, the physical death that happened to him, but made a in the spirit. Now, we only talk of what Christ has done for us. That what he did, First Peter 2 tells us, he took our sins in his own body to the, to the cross. That we might be what? Dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. Or alive to doing what is right. That's what Peter is saying there in second, uh, in 1 Peter 2. That Christ, he is the one who took uh, our sin. This reminds me of a hymn. Uh, I don't know if you know a hymn called His Rocks for Mine. The, the hymn writer says, His rocks for mine, O wonderful exchange, clothed in my sin, Christ suffered near God's rage or God's wrath. Drapped in his righteousness, I am justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Then the chorus, the, the lines, two lines there says, Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be Christ alone. That's what he did. He did that great exchange. We never used to seek for righteousness, but now we can seek it. We can do good because Christ has suffered. You know all the sufferings that went to him. He was beaten, rejected, all these things. A man of sorrows. But he continued to say that he might bring us to God. That he was paying the debt for your and my sin on that cross so that we may be brought back to God. Or bring us to God. That it is through what Jesus has done that we have been reconciled by his blood to God. God, in this sense, made him who knew no sin to be seen for us, that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. That now God accepts us based on what Christ has done. Well, this is a wonderful thing to know that we are saved by works. We are saved by works indeed. Yet not our works, but the works of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And you can always look to him and trust him. All those things have been shared, so I don't have to explain uh, much on that. But let Christ be your example in suffering for doing what is good. He never suffered so that you may not suffer, but that when you suffer you do what? You become more like him. Remember what John Scott says about suffering. He said in the cross of Christ, that we must learn to climb that hill called Calvary. Mm -hmm. 
And from that ground, we survey, we look at the life trage tragedies, and we realize that the cross was not meant to solve the problem of suffering, but to provide to us a perspective in which you can look at it. Mm -hmm. You see, how I can look at that verse and see the truth about that said? That you learn in suffering, you learn to claim that hid called Calvary, and you can survey the life tragedies, the suffering there. And you realize that this cross really was not meant to solve the problem of suffering or end suffering, but provide us a perspective in which you can look at it. This is what great hope that the cross gives to us. Verse 19 says, in which he went, um, let me repeat that, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison. Now this is the, the hard part, and there are so many things that uh, people have come up to explain what it all means that Christ went and preached the spirits um, in prison. Now I have a few two things to say about that. There are people who believe that when Jesus died and was buried, in those three days he was preaching to the fallen angels who disobeyed God. Others believe that they are those, the spirit of those people who died during uh, the times of Noah. But there is this one that is convincing, and I think I'm, I'm convinced about it. That Jesus preaching to the spirits who are in prison. This sense means when Noah was preaching, we'll see how that the context of the previous verse, verse 18, and also the next verse, how may help us to see if this view may be correct. That when Noah was preaching in his days, he's telling people to, to, to repent. You remember that Noah was called the preacher of righteousness. It was not just Noah preaching, but that the Spirit of Christ was preaching in Noah, or through Noah. So those spirits that are, are spoken of here who are already in prison are people who are already preached long before by Noah when he was building that Who are already in what? In, in prison. Now that one you may go and look at it, you may study further on it and uh, the Lord will help you be convicted of if that really makes sense. Let's go to the next verse to see if that may be helpful to us to understand verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Remember how Noah used to preach to them? As he built that ark, was still preaching to them. But as he's preaching to them, what he's seeing here is this. They did not obey. They did not obey. In fact, eight persons. What does eight here mean? Because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built or prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. I'm not going to explain what the eight persons here mean or, or so. What it means is just, it means few. Eight means few. Is that true? It means few. Just means only few believed in what Noah was preaching to them. And now in that sense, now we can look and see that Christ was preaching to those people through Noah. And now the, 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 the spirit of those people in that time 
They are already in what? In prison. Then it says, uh, it says in verse um, 21, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now to understand that, so just allow me to read the, the next part here, or the last part here. Verse 20 says, Because they finally did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, or prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this. You see now, baptism, which corresponds to this. Now, to this means what? We go back to verse 20. Which corresponds to this. Now, when you look this here, we can see that Peter is looking at the ark that Noah was building. And now he's seeing that ark as what Jesus has done in verse 18. As we continue to say, now how does it that baptism which corresponds to this ark? Of course, the ark was a foreshadow of the salvation that will be brought to us through Jesus Christ. We all believe that. The ark being about a foreshadow here, he said, baptism which corresponds to this now does what? Saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the works of Christ now becomes the baptism that now saves us. Have you clear on that? That the works of Christ now become the baptism that now saves us. That's why you see that those verses in verse 20 and 21 are not separate from verse 18 and 19 of what Christ has done. But of course, that's the baptism that now saves us. Of course, we are not saved by the physical baptism that we always have here. And Peter is careful here. You know what he says here? Not as a removal of dirt from the body. Something that just removes dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How have we been saved now here? One, Christ has suffered, died in the flesh, and now here, resurrected. That by his resurrection now, we have been saved. And that's what he's saying here. That baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where we see now God satisfies what God wanted from us. But because we could not give, Jesus died and he was raised from the dead. And now from that, we have been saved. We have been saved. As much that uh, we can talk about that text, but I think uh, that will be enough for us to understand uh, what Peter wanted to pass uh, to, to us in that sense. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven? So this Jesus who has been resurrected, who has been raised, has done what? He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the, the angels. Authority, power, having been subjected to him. We see here, one, a suffered for sins, died in the flesh, resurrected from the dead, verse 21, verse 22, gone to heaven. Now, 
The thing that we'll see now in verse 22 is this one. Why is he seated there? Hebrews tells us that he's our high priest now. He now continues to make intercessions for us. And the first intercession that Christ made for us was the sending of the Holy Spirit. That was the first intercession in the next one. Now Christ, who has gone into heaven, now he has ascended into heaven, is at the right hand of God, with the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Everything is under Christ. Everything is under him. Even the angels. One who had been set below the angels has been exalted by God. And even the angels in the heaven, the seraphs and the cherubim, they will sing before the throne in the book of Revelation chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The one who died on the cross and suffered and was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven is seated at the throne and his worship seated there. May that be our hope each and every day of our lives. Peter says that what does the grass do? The grass with us, the flower feeds, but the word of the Lord lives forever. We can pray. God, we wants to, to pray and thank you for what you've shown us this day. But we may not have speaking, uh, spoken much that, Lord, to, to bring out everything that Peter meant here, Lord. But we do believe that that what you've shared is enough for us. We pray that you will help us. How, Lord, we long to do good and, Lord, long to see Christ return. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus Christ. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen.